MPs manage most minor burns in the community, but sometimes it can be a challenge to identify the depth of a second degree burn, and this directly affects management. At the Remote Medicine Australia conference, I caught up with Dr. Carl Lysek, a burns and general surgeon, who shared his simple tricks to judge burn depth and how to best manage different burn presentations in general practice. Dr. Carl Isaac, thank you for coming on the Medical Republic podcast. You've just presented at the RMA conference. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were talking about today? So thank yeah, you. today I was um, discussing um, the management and assessment of minor burn injuries um, in adults. And what are some of the most important things to take away for general practice? I know that you were talking about how history is one of the most important factors. So I think the important things are, first of all, <clears throat> minor burns are very common. Um, and at the burns unit, we often see the, you know, the severe end of the spectrum. We do see a lot of minor burns, but I suspect a lot of minor burns are treated in uh, primary practice um, and in rural and remote areas. Um, and in order to judge the depth of the burn, um, I think you need um, to consider two things i think two things are really important first is history as you said so you you need to um to, uh, get from the patient um, a, an accurate description of exactly what happened around the time of the burn um, and the second is looking at the color of the burn um, looking to see uh, how deep it is um, is is related to what sort of color it is Absolutely. And what are those? You broke it down to three colours. Could you maybe explain what you're looking for? Yeah, so we're talking about partial thickness burns. I mean, most people can pick what an epidermal or first degree burn looks like. It's just simple erythema with no blisters. Um, and at the other end of the spectrum, most people can pick what a full thickness burn looks like because, you know, they're often charred and they're insensate um, and they feel leathery and they feel thick. Um, what people struggle with is the um, judging of the depth of partial thickness burns. <clears throat> so um, ANSBAR, the Australian New Zealand Burn Association, breaks um, the depth of partial thickness burns into three uh, groups. We have um, superficial dermal burns, we've got mid-dermal burns, and then we've got deep dermal burns. And um, there are lots of ways you can assess a burn. Um, you can look at capillary refill, you can look at the presence or absence of sensation, but really all you need to do is look at the colour of the dermis, and those three colours are pink, red and white. So pink is superficial, um, white is a deep dermal burn, and then if you see a red burn, then that's somewhere in between, it's what we call a mid-dermal burn, so the burn's about halfway uh, through the dermis. And at what point would you expect uh, when you're seeing maybe those deeper cherry reds, is that a time where you should be calling a burns unit? Yeah, so there's um, well-established referral criteria. That's the first thing to say. So you can look that up on, on the ANSBAR website or any Australian sort of burns unit website, and there'll be um, a list of um, burns that we would expect um, a referral for. Um, <clears throat> In terms of you know which burns to refer, I think most um, of the pink or superficial dermal burns are going to heal within seven to ten days, regardless of um, you know what dressing you use, um, you know what the mechanism was, etc. Um, but as soon as you start getting to mid dermal and deep dermal, and certainly full thickness burns, so for the red ones, the red burns, the 
the pale white burns or full thickness burns, then that's going to take probably longer than two weeks to heal. So that would necessitate a referral um, to your burns unit. As you've just talked about the time of the healing period, you were talking in your presentation about how those first 14 days are critical in terms of determining uh, whether the patient will have scarring afterwards. (coughs) There's a rule, uh, there's a two-week rule. So we want all burns, regardless of the etiology, regardless of the location on the body, we want all burns to heal within two weeks. And if a burn heals within two weeks, um, that means that there's going to be very uh, minimal risk of scarring in the long term. <clears throat> the patient will have good functional outcomes and they'll have good cosmetic outcomes most of the time. So two weeks is the rule. If a burn takes longer than two weeks to heal, the risk of getting hypertrophic scarring goes up significantly. Of course. And one of the other things that you mentioned was that history is so important and the way that the patient describes what happened and how they actually attained the burn. What are some of the things that you can look out for which could make a burn no longer superficial but actually something quite serious? Yeah, so I like to think of uh, the mechanism in terms of, you know, insignificant or significant. You know, insignificant being, well, if I hear that sort of history, that mechanism, I'm not terribly concerned because I know the burn's probably going to be superficial. So things like scalds in adults, you know, hot water scalds in adults, um, nine times out of ten, they're going to be fine. Um, Every time I hear sunburn, I know that that's going to be fine. You know, that's not, you know, (laughs) I've never seen a person with sunburn uh, end up with a skin graft. Um, The other sort of insignificant mechanisms would be really brief contact with something hot. Um, Because the depth of the burn is a function of a couple of things. It's a function, if you're talking about thermal burns, it's a function of the temperature of the thing that, that burns you and also the contact time. So something can be really, really hot, but if it only just very briefly contacts your skin, then it's probably not going to produce a a deep burn. And then there are significant mechanisms. So uh, common things that we see in the adult burns population are things like uh, throwing petrol on a fire. So whenever you hear that story of petrol or kerosene or diesel uh, and flame burns from that, um, those burns are normally deep and they most often they require surgery. Um, If your clothes catch a light, so if you're unlucky enough to um, be set on fire or if you come close to a campfire and your your pants or skirt catches on fire, then um, uh, clothing that catches on fire will usually result in a deep burn. Um, And similarly, um, um, with uh, scalds, certain scalds are more likely to produce deeper burns. So in the paediatric population, scalds are a big problem. First of all, because they're common, um, but second of all, kids have relatively thin skin compared to adults. So um, a scald burn in a paediatric patient will usually mean a deep burn and they're more likely to get skin grafting than adults. Um, And the other thing is certain hot liquids, uh, things that are hotter than boiling water, that would be a mechanism that I'm concerned about as well. So fat, oil, for example, Um, obviously, you know, by the time it reaches a a flaming point or a smoking point, it could be several hundred degrees. So um, burns of that sort of nature usually are deep and need surgery. One of the other things that came up is that you mentioned that some of these people who may have a significant history of the burn and how they attained it, they might have, you know, dropped on the ground and rolled around in mud or gone into, you know, a creek or something to Mm -hmm. try and treat the burn immediately or put the fire out. Uh, That 
obviously presents infection risk and how should those patients be managed differently when they come in? Um, so with contaminated burns, um, it's important to realise that they are at increased risk of infection. So um, if patients jump into seawater, um, they're at risk of sort of atypical infections with Vibrio and Eremonis. Um, uh, if they drop in the dirt or a muddy creek or something like that, um, then the, the burn is at increased risk of infection. So um, the important thing is to first of all do the normal first aid, as you normally would. Um, but then if the burn is heavily contaminated with grass or dirt or foreign material, then it's really important to wash the wound and remove all of the foreign debris. Um, and then when, in terms of dressings, um, I would always recommend daily dressings to begin with so that you can wash the wound every day, monitor for signs of infection, um, and when the burn's showing signs of healing, then you can switch to a dressing that lasts a bit longer. And one of the other things is that cleaning process, though, in some patients could be excessively painful, um, depending on the size of the burn as well. Yeah, that's right. So uh, sometimes if you're going to scrub a wound, um, they will need a general anaesthetic, <clears throat> but you might get away with some sort of procedural sedation if you have the facility to do that. So another thing that you touched on, which was quite interesting, is that consistent monitoring is needed for these patients, particularly in the first five to 14 days. Uh, could you tell us why this is? Um, well, burns that um, a burn that you see on day one can, might look very different by day two or three. Um, burns have the annoying tendency of progressing, so they often look okay at the start, but due to a number of factors, they may progress or get deeper. Um, some of those factors are inadequate first aid. Um, poor compliance with dressings, you know, if they let the burn wound dry out, then the healing slows down. Um, edema in the limb, so if, particularly if you've burnt yourself on your foot and you're walking around, you continue to work and you don't rest and elevate the limb, uh, then edema will develop and that leads to uh, slowing down of the healing and the burns can often get deeper. <coughs> if your burn gets infected, that's another reason why the burn can get deeper. Um, but a really, really common thing to look out for and to acknowledge um, when you're seeing these patients is, is all of the comorbidities that might be present in that patient. So if you've got a diabetic who's burnt their foot and they've got peripheral vascular disease and they smoke, then a pink superficial burn that you're seeing on day zero or day one might look uh, deep dermal or full thickness by day three and that's just due to the poor blood supply, the smoking um, and poor wound healing that these people have. And those patients as you were saying can get an advanced burn quite quickly and often that can end up with having to consult a vascular surgeon. Yeah, so if you you know if you've got a burn on a foot and they've got comorbidities, um, it's important to check for pulses. If they don't have any pulses in their foot or, or popliteal fossa, then um, they'll, they'll often need investigations for arterial disease, which includes an arterial duplex. Um, and then if there's anything that the vascular surgeons can revascularize, um, then we do that to aid in healing. And there is a really handy sheet as well um, that's online for GPs. Where can they go to find out more about this? So um, I uh, recommend you check out the ANSBAR website. So that's the Australian and New Zealand Burn Association website. On that website, there's a whole bunch of fact sheets um, ranging from you know first aid through to the treatment of specific burns like bitumen, 
lime, you know, other sort of chemical burns, but they have a really good fact sheet on just an overview of burn wound assessment and the management of burns, minor burns, including dressings. Thank you so much, Dr. Lysik, for okay. coming on the Medical Republic podcast. That's okay, Francine, no problem.